cleaning tips for Glen Cairns, my top three mid-range whiskeys slash bourbons, and a quick review of Rich and Rare. Those are just a few things that we're going to touch on in this episode of Whiskey Noobs. But before we get to that, for those of you who are new here, my name is Chris and I'm the host of the show. And this episode is a frequently asked question episode where I answer questions from the listeners just like you. And if you want to submit one, you can do that by submitting a question on my Instagram story. Every Wednesday, I post a sticker on my Instagram story where you can type out a question and send it to me. And then I will answer them right here. Here on the show, and that is every Wednesday on my Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs. So before I get started, a special thank you to everybody who submitted these questions. And I will not be doing a mystery whiskey review, which I do sometimes do on these episodes since they are not a review episode. But I do have a request to try a whiskey that was uh, very easy to get my hands on and also very inexpensive. So I grabbed a bottle of it and I will be doing a quick review of that uh, because somebody asked about it for this episode. So, we will talk about that whiskey once we get to it, and without further ado, I will get to the questions. The first question today we have is, what bottle would I choose over Russell 10-year in the same price range? So, they're talking about Russell's Reserve 10-year. If I recall correctly, Russell's Reserve is about $35 in Ohio. I'm going to fact check myself real quick on OHLQ, though. Okay, I'm glad I looked that up because it's actually closer to $38. It's $37.99 in Ohio. So what would I pick over Russell's Reserve in that price range? That's actually a really weird price range um, in the upper 30s. I feel like I strangely just don't have very much in that price range. Um, I know for sure one that I have in that price range is the Middle West Spirits Straight Bourbon. I would probably put that close to it. I'd have to do a side-by-side to say like I would pick it over Russell's, especially because I've been out of Russell's for a little while now. I haven't had a glass of it in quite a while, but I have recently had Middle West Spirits. So definitely take that with a grain of salt, Uh, but it is in the same price range. For a little bit less money, or actually, no, you know another one that's close to that is Woodford Reserve. I would definitely put that up against Russell's. I have to, once again, I have to try them side by side. I can't say I would choose it over Russell 10, but um, if I tried them side by side, I think it would have a fair shake for sure. So that's basically what I'm going to do is kind of list off (laughs) whiskeys that I would put up next to it in a blind tasting that I think would at least be entertaining to try. Yeah, I would definitely put... Uh, the Middle West Spirits, I would put Woodford Reserve, and then I believe, and I might be wrong about this, Makers 46 is very close in price as well. I would probably put that up against it as well. I think those would be three really fun blind tastings that I have not done. So I'm not saying those are better than it. I'm just saying I think those would give them a run for their money, give uh, Russell's Reserve a run for their money. So Russell's is a pretty good drink in that price range, but once again, I just haven't had it in a little while. For those of you who don't know, it's actually made by Wild Turkey, so uh, same distiller. And I enjoyed Russell's 10. I remember really liking it. It was one of the early bottles that I bought and added to my collection, and that was the only one that I've had so far, so I haven't really um, had it in a while. But It's pretty decent, and I would be interested in trying those blind tastings next to it. So if you're looking for something in that price range, I think all three of those would be a decent blind tasting versus the uh, Russell's Reserve. The next question, and I hope I pronounced this right, would be my thoughts on Scapa or Scapa. Um, They said that that's the next whiskey that they're going to buy. Uh, To be entirely honest, I actually had not heard of Scapa or Scapa prior to being asked this question, Uh, and it looks like they're not available in Ohio from anything that I could find, which would be why I hadn't heard of it probably. 
But I looked them up. They are a distillery in the UK. They appear to have some pretty interesting marketing. It looks pretty nice. I just haven't had them, so I can't really give you an opinion on them. But I would be interested to try it at some point. So if I see it somewhere, then maybe I'll grab it. But once again, that doesn't appear to be in Ohio anywhere. So I'll have to be out of state in order to find it. Moving on to the next question, we have how to start a relationship with a liquor store and get allocated bottles. This is an interesting question. It's also probably not the best question for me, being that I am located in Ohio. Uh, In Ohio, all of our liquor stores, everything is state-owned, so it's all run by the state. So you can't, you can kind of get a relationship with somebody, and this is where it's going to get a little bit gray here. The laws around that are all pretty fuzzy. Um, I've I've been told that it is actually illegal to like hold a bottle for somebody, to not sell it for somebody. So that's what I was told. I don't know for sure if it's true. I was told by somebody at a liquor store. But it's a very difficult thing to do in my area. Now, I will say in other states, I know for sure the best way would be, first of all, go in and talk to them and be a regular customer and give them your money, give them your business. I know that that helps. Uh, I know that going to them, even when it's not for whiskey or for bourbon, but like let's say you're buying vodka for a party, let's say you're buying rum or something, just buying everything from them and really moving merchandise for them can help build a relationship with an owner, let them know that you're interested in the hobby. Let them know that you know this is something that you're constantly hunting and you're constantly trying to find some. And like with anything, maybe you'll end up having a business relationship with that person and they'll be able to kind of hold back bottles for you or something like that. But it is a difficult thing to do. It's not necessarily as easy as just going. Some people are charismatic, and so it seems like maybe it's just as easy as going in your local liquor store and making friends. But that could be the case if you're a very charismatic person. But that's not something that I necessarily have worked incredibly hard on. Um, I find if I can't get it on allocation day, because it's state-owned, we get a bunch of allocated stuff, and it's all retail price. So I can just go in and try to fight for it, You know, try to get in there at the right time on a day where they get the allocated whiskey in or I can just try to trade with people or something like that so I'm probably not the best person to ask about that but that's my personal opinion on what you could do to kind of improve your odds the next question would be cleaning tips that I have for Glen Cairns so Glen Cairns can be kind of a pain because if they get any amount of like dust and stuff in them it then you pour your whiskey in it and you're looking at the whiskey to try to see the color to try to see the legs you're going to see all this dust floating around and that's not an enjoyable thing to see when you're trying to drink whiskey. So cleaning tips, I would say stick to hand wash because a lot of dishwashers can really fog up your glasses. Definitely stick to hand wash. Um, Dry them out pretty well. Don't let them just dry with the droplets on them, but actually, you know, dry them out with something that's not going to leave a residue on them. And then a really big one, maybe you're getting your Glencairns nice and clean, but maybe the dust is settling in them. You'd be astonished the amount of dust that settles on like a daily basis. So if they're just sitting on a shelf or in a cabinet, maybe there's dust settling down into them. And so what I do for that is, and this is a dangerous game, but I genuinely find that it works really well, so I keep doing it. After they're nice and dry, I store them upside down. It's a little bit of a dangerous game because the bottom of the Glencairn is definitely heavier than the top. So storing it upside down, you're going to risk that it's a little bit top heavy. I've never had much of a problem with it. I think I did break one at some point. So you could either store them upside down 
or you could potentially put something on top of them to keep the dust out. I believe they actually make like little Glencairn covers for keeping your whiskey from evaporating while you're drinking it, or if like you have to set it down and walk away for a little while. So that's also an option, you know, get some kind of a little cover to put on top of it and, and keep dust from settling into it. But I think that's something that I battle a lot more than the actual cleaning is that dust likes to fall down into them. This next question, have I tried any Colorado whiskeys? And if so, what are my thoughts on them? I believe I've only tried one and I might be missing one maybe, but as far as I can think off the top of my head, I think I've only ever had one and that would be tin cup and tin cup is, you know, they're a Colorado distillery, but they're sourced from MGP. So it's not necessarily distilled in Colorado, but they say, you know, it's cut with like Rocky mountain water and that's, you know, it makes it like a Colorado whiskey. So that's the only one that I can think of that I've had from Colorado. And I enjoyed Tin Cup. I didn't think it was bad at all. I haven't had it in a little while. It was also, funny enough, I'm getting asked about a lot of my early bottles here. Uh, That was another early bottle. It was one of the first nice, quote unquote, nice whiskeys that I bought. And I haven't had it for quite a while. But I remember enjoying it. And I was newer to whiskey and I, I liked it still. So it's not like overly harsh or anything like that. Nice, you know, subtle sweetness. This type of things you look for in like a slightly lower dollar whiskey. Or sub $30, I guess I should say. But for being less than $30, at least in Ohio, I really can't complain about it. So that's my opinion on Tin Cup. But I think that's the only Colorado whiskey that I've probably ever had. The next question will be a quick one. Do I have any Whiskey Noob stickers? No, I currently don't. But if there's an interest in Whiskey Noob stickers, I could probably... Uh, I, I, th- I have thought about it before. Let me put it that way. I've thought about it before. So maybe if there's an interest in Whiskey Noob stickers, uh, I will look into that a little bit more. But currently, no, I don't have any Whiskey Noob stickers. The next question is my top three mid-range whiskeys slash bourbons. So you say whiskey slash bourbons, so I'm going to take it as it doesn't have to be bourbon. Um, And this is a tough question because what is mid-range? Mid-range is different for everybody, for sure. So if I'm talking mid-range, a lot of times my brain goes to like the high 40s, low 50s, maybe up to like 60s. You know, the the high range would be the stuff that you really, really only buy on a special occasion. So for mid-range whiskeys, actually, I will just keep it to bourbon to keep it simple. Uh, for, let's say, $50 bourbons or real close to $50, I'm going to say Wild Turkey Rare Breed is definitely in there for me. Uh, Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond is one that I just recently got and really enjoyed. I would definitely throw that one in there. And for the third, I would throw in either Four Roses Small Batch or Four Roses Small Batch Select because those are opposite ends of that $50 that I said. One is 40 I believe, and then I believe the Select is uh, 60 if I'm not mistaken. So I'd, I'd throw those in there. Or I guess you could split it down the middle and say uh, Four Roses Single Barrel, which is about $45, I believe. And I really enjoy Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Four Roses Single Barrel to keep it real close to 50 I really enjoyed Four Roses Single Barrel. I just recently ran out, actually, and I love that bottle. So, yeah, I would say if I had to pick three off the top of my head, I'm going to go with Wild Turkey Rare Breed, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and Four Roses Single Barrel. The next question, am I on board for the 30-day bourbon challenge? I actually did not do the 30-day bourbon challenge, and a big reason would be that I don't drink daily normally. I try to avoid that because... 
the podcast, the TikTok, the Instagram, all those things really require pretty regular drinking. So on days where I don't have to drink, I try not to drink. So I, I'm not doing the 30-day bourbon challenge. I've seen folks who are doing it where you drink a different bourbon every day and there's a calendar you can fill out. I think that's pretty neat. It's just not something that I'm personally doing because I try not to drink every day. But it's just a personal thing. I mean, just personal preference. I try to avoid drinking as much as I can. And it's already required so much for what I do because I love tasting whiskey, but it just so happens to be an alcoholic beverage. So um, I'm not doing the 30-day bourbon challenge, but kudos to those who are. And hopefully you find some bourbons that you like and learn a little bit more about the bourbons that you like. I think it is a cool way to kind of discover that. And if I didn't have, you know, the TikTok and the podcast, and that already forces me to discover all these things about my preferences, then I'd probably do something like that. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm just so righteous that I'm not doing it. Uh, it's not that. It's just that uh, because I'm already doing these things, I don't see much of a value from it at the expense of drinking every single day. This next question I also answered on, I believe, either TikTok or Instagram, and that's my thoughts on Uncle Nearest 18... Well, it was my thoughts on Uncle Nearest on whichever platform that was, either TikTok or Instagram, and then this is Uncle Nearest 1884 is what this person asked. I just put Uncle Nearest 1884 with two question marks, which I'm guessing you mean my thoughts on Uncle Nearest 1884. I have not had the 1884. I have had the 1856. I really enjoyed it. I don't own a bottle of it. I just had it on like two different occasions. Uh, and I So I don't own the bottle. I might buy a bottle at some point because I really enjoyed it. I thought it had a good amount of flavor, uh, not too unreasonable amount of burn. And I forget the price of it. I'm going to actually look that up real quick. The price is about $60. So at about $60, I think it's a pretty decent bourbon. I might buy a bottle of it at some point to get a more in-depth opinion. And then I also would have to try the 1884, which I haven't had. So I can't say anything about that. But yeah, that's my thoughts on the Uncle Nearest brand until I try some more of it. My next question, and the hardest question for any whiskey lover to answer probably, do I have a favorite bottle? I probably do on any given day, and it probably changes just about every day. I think right now my favorite for at least the past few weeks has been Barrel Seagrass. I really enjoy that. It's a rye that's finished with like three different finishing methods. They bring them all together and blend it. Um, <clears throat> I really like what Barrel is doing so far. So far, what I've had from them, I've really enjoyed. And Seagrass is my current favorite. That's not to say it's like the all-time best whiskey I've ever had in my life. It's just to say right now it's my favorite whiskey on my shelf, and I'm forcing myself to drink it slower. Anytime that I'm like, forcibly restricting the amount that I go to a specific bottle. It's usually my favorite for the moment. And that would be barrel seagrass right now. But once again, that changes about as often as I change my pants. So it could change at any given moment. But right now, I really enjoy that bottle. I want to say it's about 85, 75 bucks, something like that. I thought it was really tasty. So this next question is kind of my forte, or at least something that I like to spend a lot of time trying to figure out. And that is, what do I recommend for somebody who wants to improve their tasting skills? I have a tough time tasting the notes they added at the uh, end of their question there. So if you have a tough time tasting notes, all whiskey just tastes like whiskey. I do have a couple episodes on this back towards the beginning of the show. Uh, the first like 
10 or so episodes are really good for beginners. But the quick version of this, if you're having a tough time tasting the notes, then I'm guessing that means you're you're mostly past the alcohol burn because you're drinking it consistently. It's not like whiskey is just gross to you. But you don't really get tasting notes from it. What I like to do for this situation is side-by-side tastings. They're the absolute best. So I start with two whiskeys that are super not similar to each other. We're talking like a bourbon and some kind of scotch or some kind of Irish whiskey. Side-by-side. Doesn't need to be blind at first. Just tasting them. Then I like to get a little bit more similar. Once Once you taste those and you're like, these, I don't know what the specific notes are, but I know that they don't taste the same. I know that this one tastes like a scotch. I know that this one tastes like a bourbon. Then you can get you can narrow it down a little bit, and you can go to let's say maybe just bourbons, maybe a high rye bourbon and a weeded bourbon. Those are two really good different ends of the bourbon spectrum that you can try. And then you can kind of start to narrow down. Oh, the high rye bourbon had more spice to it. The weeded bourbon had more sugar to it. That sort of a thing, and you're getting these vague notes, that not necessarily specific notes yet. But that can really get you to where you're starting to taste notes. And then you can also add in a flavor wheel, either at the same time or I like to kind of afterward. Then try to just drink one whiskey and look at a flavor wheel. So flavor wheels are available online. I also have a Whiskey Noobs notes list that I send out on occasion with the email list. Or you can request it and I will send it to you. Um, And you look at these note lists and they start, especially like I know how mine is set up. Flavor wheels usually work this way as well. My notes list is set up so that you have groups of flavors. So you have like fruit, you have bakery sweets, you have woods, those sorts of things. And start off by finding those groups. Okay, this bourbon has a little bit more wood. This bourbon has a little bit more fruit. If you can start to narrow down to those groups, then you can really get more specific and say, okay, this one has more fruit in it, or this one has a lot of fruit in it. What kind of fruit is it? Is it citrus? No, it's not citrus. Okay, so maybe it's more like a dark fruit. What kind of dark fruit? Is it reminding you of cherries? Is it reminding you of plums? Something like that. That's kind of the process of narrowing down from these two whiskeys don't taste the same to this whiskey tastes like cherries or something like that. That's my way of walking down through it. Now, the other thing that I'll add in here that I'm a huge, huge proponent of is blind tastings. I absolutely love blind tastings. If you can do a blind tasting, you can either do it yourself and kind of scramble them with your eyes closed or have somebody pour them for you. Doing blind tastings is an excellent way to start to figure out notes, to start to figure out your preferences, and to start to really look at whiskey from an unbiased standpoint. I love blind tastings. Uh, Sometimes I'll even do like an extreme blind tasting. So a lot of times I'll just do like I'll pick two whiskeys and I'll try them side by side and I won't know which is which. That's called a blind tasting. Now, if you do double blind, it would mean that you don't even know what two whiskeys you're tasting. You don't, so you don't know which is which, and you also don't know what both of them are. So instead of saying, I'm going to put Jack Daniels versus Russell's Reserve, I just pulled two off the complete top of my head. Instead of saying that, you would say, okay, so-and-so, go pick out two whiskeys, give me the glasses, and I'm going to do a side-by-side tasting, and I won't know what either of them are. Another one that I like to do is I'll just have my wife go into my whiskey room and pick out a whiskey, pour it for me, and not tell me what it is until I'm done trying it, and then I try to guess what it is. And all those forms of blind tastings, every form of blind tasting is an excellent, excellent way to hone your palate because you really are thinking of the whiskey objectively without being clouded by all of the things that you think you should be tasting. 
all of the things that a distiller says you should taste, all of the things that an influencer, maybe even me, says they're tasting, you're not clouded by those things, and it really, really helps. So that's the progression that I would say is start with side-by-sides, not blind, at least just just know that these are two different. And then when you get to the point where you're like, okay, I can tell these are different, then you can kind of work your way up and eventually blind tastings, just looking at flavor wheels, those sorts of things can be very helpful. The next question, do I have any store pick tasting or reviews? I do have a couple of store picks right now. Uh, actually, maybe the only store pick that I have at the moment is Yellowstone. Uh, and I really enjoyed Yellowstone, so I could do a full review of it potentially. Store picks are a little bit hard because not everybody gets them, and they're they're also about as rare as allocated. And then even worse than allocated is that if you didn't get them the first time around, you're never going to get your hands on it because they're from a specific barrel and you're never going to get that barrel again. So I don't do a lot of reviews on those just because it doesn't translate to the larger audience, to uh, the kind of global audience. But I could potentially do some, maybe throw it on like TikTok or Instagram, uh, and that way people can see my opinions on these things. But I really liked the Yellowstone barrel pick that I had. Um, And also store picks are done a little bit differently in Ohio where it's uh, like the state picking it out for you. It's not just like an owner uh, of a store picking it out. But at any rate, I don't have any on the podcast. I don't think I've done any on TikTok or Instagram either, so perhaps I could. Uh, but the reasoning behind that is just because, like I said, it doesn't translate as well to a large audience. But it doesn't mean that I won't do them. So that's a, it's a great point. Maybe I will be doing those in the future. This next question are my thoughts on Knob Creek products. I really like Knob Creek. It's actually kind of funny that I haven't had it on the show before. I have had just the regular Knob Creek, the 100 proof, nine years. I haven't had any of the the old stuff because they do make some older bourbons as well. I haven't had those, but I would like to here in the future. And then also I've had their uh, their smoked maple. That's a really good uh, flavored whiskey. I know a lot of people really enjoy uh, the Knob Creek smoked maple. So as far as flavored whiskeys go, it's, it's pretty good as well. I really enjoy Knob Creek, and actually, I just looked it up for the price, and it just so happens that it's in that $40 range, so it's $2 more than Russell's Reserve, and that is a blind tasting that I would guess Knob Creek would win, but it'd be really interesting to try. I'd have to try it next to Russell's, because I remember really enjoying Knob Creek. Like, It was one that I really didn't expect to like as much as I did. Now, maybe that's just a personal palate preference thing because I haven't had it for a while. I can't tell you the specific notes that I got from it. It's one of those things where I can kind of remember what it tastes like, but I didn't I didn't write down any notes or anything like that. But I like Knob Creek. I like the things that they have so far. I haven't been disappointed by them. And honestly, a lot of the people that I've seen talk about it with me or comment about it also really enjoy it so they seem to have a pretty solid product line um but i do have you know slightly limited experience with them so maybe i'll be trying more of their products here in the future so far i would say i really enjoy knob creek the next question the moment that you might have been waiting for knowing that i've been tasting this the whole episode is have i ever had rich and rare reserve and this person actually reached out specifically and i'm assuming it's the same person because the question and the email came at about the same time they asked me to try it and it just so happens that uh, rich and rare is incredibly inexpensive and incredibly available near me so i thought what the heck let's grab a bottle and try it I believe it was $10 for a fifth, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to look that one up. I'm using OHLQ quite a lot this episode because a lot of talk about different prices of different whiskeys. 
So yes, Rich and Rare Reserve is $9.50 for a fifth in Ohio. So I thought, I'll grab a bottle of it. I'll try it. Here's what I'll say about it so far. The very first sip of it that I had, I thought, that is cheap Pendleton with less fruit. It it tastes, it has that crisp kind of a taste that Pendleton has that I tend to get from Canadian whiskeys. So I'm really starting to understand this palette that Canadian whiskeys give me where they're these like kind of crisp sugary taste, but it has way, way more harshness, which you'd expect on this shelf. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm disappointed by it. I'm actually pretty impressed by it for $10 because $10 is just so incredibly cheap that I did not expect it to be this good. Um, I probably won't drink it neat very often if I do, but I will mix it most likely because I think it tastes really good uh, for the price for just being $10. It tastes pretty decent. has Basically, so far from my experience with Canadian whiskey, this is what I would say a very, very general Canadian whiskey flavor is, but along with like some added nail polish remover, strong alcohol burn type of a thing, kind of kind of chemically, a little bit chemically, um, but you really can't knock it for that if it's any bottle under $10. You really can't knock for the strong harshness that it's going to have. So pretty impressed by the flavor that it has aside from that harshness. Not going to say that I'll be drinking it neat very often, but for $9.50, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by it is what I would say. The next question is, if I could go on a tour of a distillery, which would I go to? And I'm guessing this means like if I could go on a tour of any distillery, because I could go to distilleries around me, obviously. But I'm guessing you mean like any distillery ever, which one would I go to? It probably wouldn't be in America just because I could go to ones in America relatively easy compared to going to ones across the pond. So I'm going to say it would for sure be either a Scotch or an Irish whiskey, but I need to think a little bit more in depth about which I would pick. Right now, just because I was so impressed by it when I tried it, I would say Bunahaben. I was really impressed by that whiskey. Uh, it is an Isla Scotch, and so I could visit other Isla distilleries, and I'd get to go to Scotland. And I'd love to go see Scotland. I think Scotland is gorgeous, and I would very much like to go there at some point. So if I could go to any distillery right now, I'd probably say Bunahaben. Okay, moving on to the next question. Have I ever tried Old Grandad 114 proof? I have had Old Grandad 114 proof. I remember thinking it was really good for being 114 proof and being as inexpensive as it is. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it had a lot of flavor for the burn that it has. And I think it is, in terms of being a budget high proof whiskey, which is a really weird thing you don't see super often, I think it's pretty solid. And I would recommend trying it if you haven't. But also, if you don't like anything that high of proof, just keep that in mind that it is it is high proof and it's going to burn like it's high proof. The next question, how much do I pour to taste and how much do I pour to sip? This is not a question that I've really asked myself but until receiving this question, but it's an interesting one to think about. So how much do I pour to taste? I'd say, I don't measure it, but I'd say it's probably close to the two ounce range. Sometimes a little bit less if I'm doing like, if I'm tasting multiple or if I'm just tasting it for the show, something like that. Um, probably close to that, that two ounces. Um, and then how much do I pour to sip? So you're saying like, if I'm not doing a tasting, I'm just sipping on it. I'm just enjoying my night. It really depends because sometimes I will actually pour a little bit less to sip because I know that I want to try multiple that night. I'm going to, I'm going to have friends over and I'm going to want to show them multiple 
multiple ones. I'm going to want to try them. Or if it's like I'm sipping on this one or I'm just not really concerned with doing like kind of tasting multiple because I guess that is kind of a tasting even if it's with friends but maybe if I'm just sitting out by a fire watching a movie something like that then I pour a little bit more so I don't have to get up to refill as often and a lot of times with that I'll also make cocktails um, because a lot of times if I'm drinking neat whiskey I am tasting it to an extent so I don't know if it is much of a difference between the, the the tasting and the sipping, but it might be a little bit more for the sipping, I would say, because I just don't want to refill as often. The next question is, what is my favorite American whiskey? And that is a loaded question because bourbon is a type of American whiskey. And also, you know that I'm really bad with, with favorites. So I'm just going to throw a couple that I'm really enjoying right now out there. On the lower end, I like Buffalo Trace, as I've mentioned on on multiple occasions. I'm sure some of you know already. I like Elijah Craig. I already mentioned I really like a lot of what uh, Barrel Spirits has going on, Barrel Craft Spirits. I've liked their bourbon and their uh, seagrass, that finished rye that I mentioned before. I really like Angel's Envy. That's one that's you know in that mid-price range that I really enjoy, and it's technically not a bourbon. It's a finished bourbon, so I could... I guess go with that, but that's not like my favorite of all time that I've ever had in my life. But you know, with me, when I'm, when I'm answering a question about my favorites, I can never just give one. I have to throw out a few. Those are just off the top of my head, kind of looking around my room. Cause that's a, that's a huge category. And I don't know if I could ever pick a specific favorite from that category. I'm really struggling just looking around the room right now. So yeah, uh, those are the ones that I'll go with for right now. Sometimes when people ask me my favorites, I just pick what comes to mind. And as I was listing those off, Angel's Envy came to mind. So that's the answer that you get right now. But it's certainly not my favorite of all time. It's just one that I really enjoy. The next question, what do I think of gin and moonshine? So two very different things, uh, first of all. But moonshine, I like to an extent. I like the, the taste that it has. It has a very corn taste to it. It hasn't been aged at all. Um, so it, I, I enjoy moonshine, especially mixing it. Gin, I the first time I tried gin, I really, really, really did not like it. I know there's kind of a growing gin market and gin culture online, so I'd like to try gin again with an open mind, but the first time I had I really, really didn't like it. After that, I did have it a couple times after that, and I remember thinking, like, I think I can see why people like it, but I still don't think it's for me. I'd have to try it again to give you a better answer. All right, so moving on to the next question. Have I done any scotch reviews or recommendations? Yes, I have, and I just looked at the podcast list, and I'm just going to list off all the episodes. But I've also talked about different scotches on TikTok and on Instagram. But for the sake of time, I'll just list off all the reviews I've done on the show. So episode 10 was Lafroig versus Glenmorangie. Episode 16 was Monkey Shoulder. Episode 31 was Glenfiddich 12-year. Episode 44 was Chivas Regal versus Johnny Walker Black. Episode 48 was Aberlauer 12-year. Episode 54 was Akintoshan American Oak. Episode 66 was Ardbeg 10-year. And episode 68 was Bunahaben. So those are just all the reviews that I've done on the show. As far as recommendations go, I think anything that I've had on the show was honestly pretty tasty. For newbies, I always recommend Monkey Shoulder. I think it's incredibly approachable. A lot of folks who I've had try it either like it or didn't like it and tended to be bourbon folks who just didn't like scotch very much. Monkey Shoulder is pretty welcoming, though, so I recommend that a lot for newer folks. 
All right, sticking with the gin and moonshine type of question, am I into brandy? And then in parentheses, they put cognac at all. I would not say I'm into it. I think I've only had it ever once. I don't know for sure if I've had it more than that. So I'd have to try it more to know if I was into it more. But my whiskey takes up plenty of my budget as it is. So I don't get into other expensive types very often, other expensive types of alcohol very often. Uh, But I would be open to trying it. It's similar to gin where I know that there are people out there who really enjoy it and really have a palate for it. So I'd like to try it and see what I think if I really sit down with it and, and really try to enjoy it. So I would be open to, to trying cognac a little bit more closely. This next question and the last one for the day. What is my collection like? Do I aim for a variety in styles? So my collection at the moment is kind of a weird mix because it's got a lot of stuff that people ask me to try. People on TikTok or Instagram ask me to do a review of it. They ask me to talk about it. And so I just kind of, I would for a while kind of buy things to try that people recommend that I try. So that's a lot of my collection. And then you do have the other half of it, which is just stuff that I've bought because I've wanted to try it, stuff that I've just bought because it seemed cool or seemed interesting, or maybe I saw something about it. So you get this weird mix where uh, I do have a variety of things because those are the things that I wanted to try. And I also have a lot of bourbons because that's a lot of what people ask me about, especially the like the 30-ish dollar range bourbons. I did a whole series on them on TikTok. Uh, so that took up a lot of you know my, my budget for that time period. And then there's also the fact that people tend to ask me about stuff like that. So I try to I try to try things that folks ask me for. And as we've grown as a podcast, I'm still absolutely grateful for all of the requests that I get. But as we've grown as a podcast, it's gotten a little bit harder to try all the things that folks ask for. And so I don't know how much longer that'll really be sustainable. But I do try to. And that has dictated a large part of what's on my shelf. There's also, as I mentioned, though, I personally like to aim for a variety of things. I think I've mentioned this before, that if whiskey is a book, there are two ways of kind of going about a book. There is reading the book beginning to end, and there's also doing studies on specific chapters and going through and writing annotations in the margins and adding sticky notes and those sorts of things. Um, So this is my metaphor for whiskey is the same way. You can try all the different kinds. And you can also zoom in on a kind and really learn as much about it as you can. And I like to do both of those things. And so I'm not by any means upset by the amount of bourbon that I have or that I've tried due to people asking me for it. But I enjoy it because then I can take a look, like I said, a lot of $30-ish bourbons, let's say. I can zoom in on that and say, what in this range makes them similar and why are they all in this price range and what types of variations do you get in that price range and which type in that price range do I tend to prefer so that is definitely the type of thing that I try to do and then I also do try to also do the 
you know, beginning to end reading the book. Uh, and I try to try all of the different whiskeys. And I'm definitely working on that. I'm working on expanding kind of my scotches, my Irish. We just had our second Japanese on the show not long ago. This is another Canadian, which we haven't had much of on the show, the uh, rich and rare that I tried for this episode. So I'm definitely trying to get a good solid variety. Um, But I also, I, I think honestly, any whiskey you can learn something from, especially if you're still in that less than let's say five or maybe even 10 years in the hobby. It, depending on how much money you have, it can take a really long time. Like for me so far, it's taken a long time to try all the different kinds, try various versions of the different kinds. There's no way, like I obviously have not had a bunch from every region in Scotland. So it takes a lot of time. And so I'm in that stage of collecting whiskey where I can learn something from almost any bottle I buy. And I really enjoy that. And I try not to get stuck on the allocations and things for that reason, because I know that like I just had a question today about finding allocations and making a relationship with store owners. And I try not to get too stuck on that just because I want to make sure I'm still tasting a good variety and I'm expanding my horizons. And maybe I find something I didn't expect to like, like Boone Hobbin was one I didn't expect to like very much. It's an unpeated Isla Scotch and I didn't think that would really be that big of a deal but I really enjoyed it and so there's all of these different types out there that I haven't had yet that are still out there for me to find and I guess that's the moral of my story is I want to try to try all of those but I also don't really care if I buy a bunch of one type because then I can really really learn about that type So I like to think that I have a really, really good working knowledge of the $20 to $30 range for bourbons uh, because of that series that I did on TikTok for a while. So there's always something to be learned by it. And that's kind of how my collection works. So you ask what my collection is like. My collection is really what's sounding good at the time. I always keep like a list of things that I want to buy. And then maybe I go to the store and this type is sounding good right now. So I'm like, oh, I haven't had a scotch in a while. I'm going to buy a scotch. That's kind of how I do it. It's not very organized, which you might expect from me. Cause a lot of times I'm so technical about things. You might've caught that through the show as well. But, um, it, the whiskey, maybe that's why I enjoy the hobby. I'm not very technical with it. I, I'm technical in terms of how much I learn about the stuff. I probably just said I'm not technical with it, and everybody listening laughed. But I'm not technical with which ones I buy. I just kind of enjoy it. I go where the wind takes me and buy what I feel like I should try, and I haven't tried in a while. So that's a really long answer to say that I don't have much of an organization to my collection. I just kind of buy what I want to try at the time, and that is what I go with. So thank you for that question. And that is actually the last question for today. So thank you again to everybody who submitted a question. If you would like to submit one for the next Q&A episode, you can do that once again. Every Wednesday on my Instagram story, you can submit them through the question sticker and I will answer the questions right here on the show. I try to get every single one. So if I missed your question, let me know. But just keep in mind, there is a recording delay. So I'm recording this on the 15th of September and it's not going to come out for a while. So there is a recording delay. So if you go a whole month and I miss your question, then make sure you shoot that question back in again. I try to get all of them for right now. And I am so grateful to all of you who submitted a question. Thank you for supporting the show and for asking your questions. 
But that's all that I've got for this episode today. So I will leave you guys with, as always, learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.